Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Great, thank you very much, Colin. Um, a few years ago, I was in a conversation with a friend uh, at church. It was at one of the, the Christchurch Manchester sites after a Sunday morning meeting. And this person was relatively new to Manchester. Uh, and they were asking me where they should get their car sorted. They needed an MOT and they didn't know where to go. And my answer was instantaneous. It, it wasn't something I had to think about at all. I said, you need to go to Ash Garage. It's absolutely brilliant. And I told them uh, stories about this garage that, that we've been going to for as long as we've been here in the city. So uh, we, we had an issue with our car that would have cost about £500 uh, to sort it out. And they looked at it and they said, yeah, you need a complete um, kind of parts uh, removal, uh, new parts. It's a big old job. It'll cost you £500. Uh, and then the guy said, but uh, I've got this idea. There's this fluid that we could put in there, 20 pounds worth of fluid. Uh, and there's a 50-50 chance that this will mean you don't need to do the big jobs. So great, let's do that then. He put it in. I was like, right, I'll get the money. He's like, no, 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 this one's on me. He could have had 500 pounds worth of work offers and not mentioned this other thing. But he had this idea and it worked and it saved us the job. And this has been consistent of the kind of interactions we've had with this garage. They've been absolutely incredible to us. And therefore, when someone was asking me about where they should take their car, uh, I could heartily recommend it. In fact, the reason that we went to Ash Garage in the first place uh, was a very similar conversation to the one I had with this friend. It was actually uh, Colin and Mary. They've been using the garage a lot longer than we have. And uh, particularly Mary loves to recommend it to everyone she can. I, I think there are probably 60 or 70 people in the church now who all use this garage as a result of word of mouth. They've heard stories. Uh, and this is the power, isn't it, of a personal recommendation. This is the power uh, of a testimony, a testimonial, a story that says, this is an experience that I've had that has been brilliant. I'd love you to have the same positive experience. There's a power in words like that. You know, when we're thinking about a business that we might use, like we could look on their, their website, their advertising, and see how they describe themselves. And most of us, when we do that, are a little bit sceptical. We, we, we don't believe everything that we read. But when we hear from someone who we know, who we trust, whose opinions matter to us, someone like us, that they've used this service, they've had that product, and they've been pleased with it, that brings down some of the barriers that we might have. In fact, I came across a, a Native American saying this week that goes like this. Tell me a fact and I'll learn. Tell me a truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. There is a power in the stories that we tell. We, we trust it when someone can tell us a positive story about the experience that they have had. In fact, many of us seek these out, don't we? If you're planning on going on holiday to an area that you've never been before, then what do you do? You get online and you look at the reviews. You look at the reviews of the area, the reviews of the, uh, the travel company, the reviews of the hotel uh, or, or other place that you're staying. You don't know what it's like 
But if loads of other people like you are telling you, I went and it was great, I had a brilliant time, then that sets your mind at rest that you all have a good time. If you see those reviews and lots of people said, actually, this wasn't so good. This was um, not what I wanted. This was a different to what it looked like in the pictures. And it was a bad experience for these reasons. That's also powerful. I'm someone who loves coffee shops. I love to find uh, a good place to sit, have a nice cup of coffee in a good atmosphere, maybe do some work or read a book or something like that. And there are certain people who I know that they have good taste in coffee shops as well. And so when someone's telling me how hey, I went to this coffee shop and it was great, that makes me think, okay, I trust your opinion. I trust your judgment on this. I know that the kind of places that we value are similar. So I'm going to go and I'm going to give that place a try. In fact, even the, the part of Manchester that we live in, when we moved house here, uh, originally we'd come to, to Manchester and we'd found a rental home in a different part of the city. We didn't know the city at all. And then a year or two in, we were thinking we'd like to buy a house and we need to decide where we're going to live. And we didn't know which area to go to. And someone who lives close to where we live said, hey, I live here and it's a great area. Talked up some of the advantages and some of the good things about this area. And that was really influential for, for Emma and myself in deciding, right, we are going to move to that same area. We'd heard a recommendation. We'd heard a testimony. We'd heard a story. And that was powerful for us. And the same can be true when it comes to sharing our faith with other people. Well, we're in the middle of a series, as Colin said, on mission. And the word mission is an acronym, M-I-S-S-I-O-N, of some of the different things that we can do in order to give us opportunities to share about Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, Tim was telling us about the M, which is for meals together, taking the time to eat with people, to build friendships, to laugh together, to chat together. Last week, Colin and Hannah were encouraging us, uh, I, to intercede for five people. Pick a, a few people in your life and commit to praying on a regular basis for those people to meet with God. And today we're on the first of our S's. And S is for share your story. Share your story. When it comes to faith in God, people can be sceptical for all sorts of reasons, many of them justifiable reasons. People can be sceptical because uh, maybe they've had an upbringing in a Christian school or uh, they went along to a church as a, uh, as a child and there, there are things that they saw and heard that maybe weren't great or maybe the way that the message was put across didn't quite make sense to them. Maybe people have intellectual questions that they need answering. Or maybe people just don't see the idea of God as relevant for somebody like them. And one of the most powerful things you can do when a friend is sceptical about the idea of God is to give that personal testimony, to tell the story, to say, look, I was once in a similar situation to you, but let me tell you what being a Christian has done in my life. Here's how Jesus has benefited me. Here's how he's blessed me. And it's made such a difference. And I'd love to see the same happen to you. This is a testimony. It's a story. It's something that we all have. And it's something that we all can do. So this evening, I just want to look at one example in the Bible of somebody who shared a testimony and to see what happened. And this is uh, a woman who met Jesus at a well. And uh, she was uh, someone who went to, the, to this well in Samaria uh, and she went on her own in the middle of the day, which was a pretty unusual thing to do. Uh, there, lots of the women from the village would go to collect the water. That was a, a fairly normal thing to do. But most of them would go early in the day and they'd go together. 
Now, this lady wasn't with the crowd. She was uh, someone who was a bit ostracized, a bit on the outside of the social interactions. And she needed to go there by herself later in the day after everyone else had had their go. So she, she gets to the well. She's uh, now in kind of the, the Middle Eastern sunshine. It's really warm. It's really hot there. Uh, and she starts to draw water uh, from the well. And, and Jesus is there. And Jesus starts to talk to her, which was um, countercultural uh, in a lot of ways for, for a man to talk to a woman, for a Jewish person to talk to a Samaritan. And uh, these were things that were taboo in that day. But, but Jesus crossed those lines uh, and he talked to her and he, he asked her for a drink of water. And um, she then raises the question, well, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are talking to me? Here. And Jesus gave this answer, which was uh, a bit of a cryptic answer, but he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him and he'd have given you living water. Uh, and so she said, well, you, you've got nothing to draw water with. What are you on about? Uh, <clears throat> and he uh, said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, in her this, the woman says, great, this sounds good to me. Give me some of this living water that you're talking about. At this point, Jesus takes a bit of a gear change in the conversation and he says, all right, go and fetch your husband. Uh, and she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus knew this already. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him the woman's situation. And uh, in fact, she didn't have a husband but in the past she'd had five husbands so she'd had five failed marriages whether the marriage has ended by divorce or maybe she was widowed in some of them we don't know but she's had five marriages and now she's living with another man who isn't one of those husbands so uh, Jesus says look I, I know you're, you're accurate in what you're saying that, that you don't have a husband you have had five and now you're living with another guy he can see that there's some thirst in her he's referred to the living water but he can see that up until now, this kind of thirst in her soul, she's been trying to find uh, something that can satisfy it in relationships, in this uh, string of men that she's had relationships with. And Jesus knows that up until this point, none of it has truly satisfied. Well, this woman's amazed that, that Jesus has known all this about her, like they've never met before. You'd have no way of knowing this information. So she's blown away that he knows. And uh, she says like one of the most kind of obvious statements, she's like, sir, I can see you're a prophet. I mean, what gave that one away? But then uh, she, she gets into a bit of a, a kind of theological sidetrack. She says, OK, then if you're a prophet, where should we worship? Because the Samaritans, they tended to worship God up a mountain and uh, the Jews tended to worship God in a temple. But Jesus didn't go for that sidetrack. He said, look, there's a day coming where it won't be about a mountain or a temple. God's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He is spirit. He's looking for worshippers who will worship in spirit and truth. And she said, hey, I know that God's going to send someone, a Messiah, someone amazing. And when he comes, he'll tell us all about this, won't he? And Jesus says, it's me. It's the guy you're talking to. He's the one. I am the Messiah. So that's the interaction that this woman had with Jesus. And now I just want to read on from verse 28 of John chapter four. She's about to leave now. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town 
and we're coming to him. Let's jump down now to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves. And we know indeed that this is the saviour of the world. So this woman has shared with the people in her town about the encounter she's had with Jesus. But the words she said are, I come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then later on, verse 39, he told me all that I ever did. She's got a story. She's met Jesus. And in meeting with Jesus, something amazing's happened. He's been able to lay out her life story before her. And she has to tell everyone. She's bursting at the seams. Have you ever had something happen to you that's so exciting, that's so incredible, that in the conversations you have in the days to come, you've just got to bring it up. You've got to tell people. It's just got to get out of you. There's something like that going on with this woman. She's met with Jesus, and so she's got a story to tell. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're people who meet with him all the time. You know, every day in his presence, we're praying, we're speaking to him. As we gather weekly and in midweek community groups, we're meeting with him. We're walking with Jesus day by day by day. Surely if we're meeting with Jesus all the time, that leaves us stories to tell. In fact, you and I have stories to tell from the past when we first became Christians. We've got stories to tell along the way of things that Jesus has done in our life. And we've got stories to tell right now of what Jesus is doing in us. And do you notice this woman didn't have to build up a detailed case? She didn't have to lay out layers of argument and out one thing upon another upon another. Now, now there's a place for apologetics and things like that. There absolutely is. But there's also a place for simple stories. Hey, come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did. Reminds me of another person who met with Jesus in John's gospel, a man who was born blind and Jesus gave him sight. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are starting to, to grill him and ask him questions and try and get him to unpick some of the significance of what happens and what it means about the identity of Jesus. And he says, guys, I don't know. I've not got the answers to your questions. But this is what I know. I used to be blind and now I can see. It's a simple story. But in a simple story, there is power. So how is it that this woman would have shared? I mean, you've got to remember her reputation. You've got to remember that she wasn't someone who was invited to go with the other women earlier in the day. She, she was kind of on the edge of society. She probably didn't have many good friends. And yet there must have been something so full of enthusiasm, something so changed. It's like, um, as she's telling, people are no longer holding her at this distance, but they're like, wow, what's with her? What's changed in her? I can see something has got a grip on her. I need to know what this is for myself. You know, we get asked lots of questions that give us opportunities to tell stories about what Jesus is doing in our life. How was your weekend is a simple question. Or, or, or what is it that, that you want to do with your life? Or, or, or tell us about how you got to this point. Tell us about the things that interest you. These are all questions that give us opportunities to share the stories of what God has done in our lives. And the effect of this woman sharing her story 
is it left many people wanting to know more. It says in verse 30, they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two more days. Because of what she shared, they want to know more. Now, it's not necessarily that this little story seals the deal and they believe all in an instant, but it certainly whets their appetite. It provokes their curiosity. You know, years ago, I heard someone explain that the process of, uh, of life for all of us can be measured on a scale between minus 10 and 10. So in the middle on zero, that's the moment that somebody first becomes a Christian. Now, someone who, who's been a Christian for a while might have grown and matured and deepened in their faith. So the zero might become a two, become a three or four. Uh, and all of life, we're trying to move up that scale. But for people who haven't yet given their life to Jesus, th there are different levels that someone might be at. Someone might be a, a real hardened skeptic down at a minus eight, down at a minus nine even, uh, who are so resistant to anything to do with God. You might get others who don't believe, they wouldn't call themselves Christians, but they're open and actually they're, they're considering making a decision like that. They might be at a minus one or a minus two. And the idea when we're talking to people, when we're encouraging people, is we want to help people move along that scale. So if someone's already a believer, we want them to go deeper. If someone's not a believer and, uh, you know, they're at a minus eight and we can have a conversation and they leave it with uh, just kind of um, some of their um, negative thoughts about God have been challenged and, uh, and they, they start to see things in a different light. Maybe they'll be at a minus six. They're not ready yet to make that jump of belief, but it's moved them in the right direction. Well, this woman's story, it moved people in the right direction and they want to know more. They're, they're going to ask Jesus questions. For us, as we tell our stories, it will provoke questions as well. Uh, and over the length of a relationship with people, there'll be opportunities to talk about their questions. Maybe our stories prompt enough interest that someone would want to come along to an Alpha course, or we could invite them to a carol service, or even to church on a Sunday. It might be that they go away and read a book and learn more. It, it might be that it just prompts more conversations and more stories to be told. But it moves people in the right direction. And in the end, they've spoken to Jesus. He's been there for two or three days and we hit verse 42. And now they say to her, look, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Her story started a process and they wanted to know more about Jesus. And now they've concluded for themselves he is indeed the saviour of the world. Wouldn't it be great if the stories that we tell about what God's doing in our lives have that same effect in the people that we know? What this lady did was really simple. She told a story. She told her story. I found this to be really effective when it comes to sharing my own faith, to tell my story to the people I know. You see, my first year at university, it was one of the hardest years of my life. I moved from a place where I was part of a really good friendship group to a year where, honestly, I was quite isolated. I was longing for a friendship group to belong to. I was longing for, for somewhere where I fit and I struggled to find it. And yet in that first year, I, I remember striking up a really good friendship with one of the guys who lived in my flat in the halls, a guy called Dave. Through Dave, I got to know some of his other Christian friends because Dave was a follower of Jesus and I joined a football team with them.
One night after um, kind of a, a team social, we'd had a curry, we were out in a bar. I'd probably had a couple too many to drink, to be honest. Uh, but we were debating theology. Uh, and I would say, look, I'm open-minded about religion and spirituality, but hey, you're all wrong. Well, the next morning when I woke up and the beer wasn't having quite as much an effect on me, that phrase stuck in my head. I'm open-minded, but you're all wrong. I realized it was inconsistent. So I said, you know what, if, if I really claim to be open-minded i want to prove it i'll go along to one or two of your christian meetings uh, and i'll be open-minded and then if at that point what i've heard doesn't convince me so be it i've proved my point i'm open-minded but i still don't believe so i went along two things happened the first one absolutely blew me away because everybody that i met i found a warmth and a love and a community with them in a way that's exactly what i've been longing for and failed to find anywhere else. And I could see this was more than just some nice people. I could see there was a work of God in the love and in the community around these people that I was meeting. But the second thing that happened is when the sun worship was happening, I found that shivers were going down my spine. Now, the first time it happened, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to dismiss this. It might be drafty. It could be a coincidence. But because of the warmth and the love, I decided this is a place I want to be. I'm going to keep coming back. And every week, the same thing was happening to me. And it got to the point where uh, I couldn't dismiss it anymore. Well, one of the friends that I made there, uh, I was telling him about this. And he said, Tom, you're not going to believe this. Uh, you're probably not there yet. But what's happening to you is that God is trying to get your attention. And actually, at that point, I was more ready to believe that than he realized. And uh, it wasn't long after that. It was only a couple of weeks after that. I made the decision to give my life to Jesus. And you know, the acceptance that I found and the thing that I was looking for and the place to belong, yes, with the people, because that was great, but way more than that, with the God in heaven. I know who I am. I know where I belong. My life is set on a purpose. That's my story that I've got to tell. And you know, I've, I've told that story to so many people, some who are Christians, many who are not. But that's just a real thing that's happened to me, like this woman who met with Jesus. And then she, she's got a story. I met a guy who told me everything I'd ever done. If you're thinking how you can tell your story, let me give you a really simple breakdown of what to do. Just think three things. Think, what was my life like before? How did I meet Jesus? And what's my life been like since? I wonder if you can see those three things in the story that I've just told you. It's not rocket science. This is what my life was like. Here's how I met Jesus. This is how things change. We've all got a story that we can tell like that. You know, I find quite often when someone uh, drops into conversation, I'm pretty skeptical about the things of God. And I just say, you know what? I totally get where you're coming from. When I was 18 year old, I would say exactly the same about myself. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, the follow up question is, oh, what changed? And then I've got an opportunity to tell this story let me give you four tips on telling your story as we're coming into land first one is this don't only have one story to tell i told the story of how i first met jesus but i could have equally told you a story about how jesus healed me when i had severe back pains i could have told you a story about how jesus called me to come and move up to manchester i could have told you a story about how jesus uh, provided for financial needs that i had at a certain time. I could have told you many more stories as well. You see, in a Christian life, in a walk with Jesus, he's actively involved in our lives all the time. So we have more and more stories to tell. Spot them, remember them, and drop them into your conversations.
Second tip is this. When you're telling your story, don't lecture people. Just chat with them. You know, there's nothing more off-putting in a conversation where you've got a bit of back and forth going. And all of a sudden, the dynamic changes. It's like someone goes into a monologue. and It's like you're not welcome in the conversation anymore. Sometimes we rehearse these things a bit too much. Now, it's good to think through the details and think through what you want to say. But make sure the way you do it is conversational and includes the other person and doesn't hijack the conversation you're having into a mini sermon. Here's tip number three. When you're telling a story, don't join the dots for people. You don't have to say, here's my story, here's how, what God did in my life. Therefore, what we can conclude about God is X, Y, Z. You don't need to make the conclusion for people. In fact, we see time and again in the Gospels, Jesus would tell people a story and kind of leave it hanging. He's planted something in their mind for them to ponder, for them to reflect on, for them to think about. I've got a friend who describes it as like you're putting a stone in someone's shoe and it'll be there and it'll kind of prompt their mind to think again throughout the day. Good stories have that effect. And here's my fourth tip for you. Don't just tell your stories, but listen to theirs. Hear about their life. Hear about what's happened that's brought them to the point that they are now. You know, most people love to talk about themselves. Ask them good questions that prompt them to tell you their stories. And that will make them much more receptive and warm to hear the stories that you want to tell them. You know, one of my favourite fiction books is uh, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. And there's the moment in the story where there's a guy called Scarpy, who's a storyteller uh, in bars. And the main character, Quoth, asks him to tell a story. It says, do you know uh, the story about such and such? Uh, and Scarpy says this. He says, I only know one story. But sometimes small parts of that can seem like stories in themselves. You know, there's one story, really, that we want to tell the whole world. And this is the story of God. It's the story that we see in the Bible. It's a, it's a divine romance. It's God and, its God and his people. It's God saving his people, drawing them to himself, wooing them through the person of Jesus, through his death and resurrection and the offer of salvation. That's the story that we want to tell. And God making all things new and reconciling all things in Christ. But sometimes the small pieces of that story can seem like stories in themselves. And each one of us have a small piece of that story. What God's doing in your life, what God's doing in my life, it's a little piece of what he's doing in the world and in eternity. And sometimes those little pieces of the story can seem like stories in themselves. Tell them. You want to tell the gospel? Telling the story of what God has done in your life is a great step to doing that. So as we finish, I want to give you two practical things that I'd recommend you do with this. First one, practice telling your story. Think through the before the how you met Jesus, and the after. Think through some of the other stories as well that God has done in your life. Think through what they are. And secondly, why don't you pray this week, every day, for an opportunity to share your story with someone who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to pray now, and then Colin is going to jump back in. Lord, we thank you that you've given each of us a story. We thank you that you've called us all from far away to new life through your son. God, I pray for each of us that we find the right words to tell this story of what you've done in our lives to those around us. And God, I pray that those who hear the stories, just like these Samaritans, would want to know more, 
would be drawn to find you for themselves and to conclude you are indeed the saviour of the world.